My name is Todd. This is Kathy. Welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is podcast number 407, I think. Does that sound about right to you, sweetie? Sure. Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And who doesn't want to feel outstanding? And always remember our motto that the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. On today's show, we're going to be discussing... Uh, a book and a friend that I met last week, her name is Jessica Leahy, and she wrote a book called The Gift of Failure. And the subtitle is How the Best Parents Learn to Let Go So Their Children Can Succeed. Um, so that's the one thing. And I have a few quick takes. Cannot forget about our quick takes, sweetie. Okay, before you do the quick takes, just a few things to share with you guys. Number one, um, the last day for um, early bird prices for our conference on March 2nd and 3rd is December 1st. Okay. So if you are going to get your early bird ticket, do it right away. Um, we also, if for those of you who were in our civility and compassion class um, earlier this week, um, it was wonderful. Thank you for being with us. Um, and if you appreciated that or enjoyed that, that's kind of what Team Zen is. That's what we do every you know week or two on Team Zen as we do a show like that. People ask questions, etc. So you can always join Team Zen. Go to zenparentingradio.com. And then um, last in January, this kind of connects to what you're talking about here, Todd. We are doing a series at the library um, in Elmhurst about um, success. And so, you know, kind of connected to failure. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, those are our upcoming events. Um, so two quick things. Oh, is you talked about the conference. Yes. And I want to play a clip from another podcast uh, that one of our keynotes hosts called Dear Sugar. Oh, and she interviewed. Uh, so, what is Dear Sugar, sweetie? So, Dear Sugar is one of my favorite podcasts. It's um, Cheryl Strayed, who, like Todd said, is our conference uh, keynote, and Steve Almond. And they both are, it's like an advice um, that, well, they used to write advice columns. Um, both were sugar at certain points. And then now they have this podcast where they both answer questions. So and I'll uh, also have guests. So this week uh they had a guest uh they interviewed a woman by the name of Hillary Rodham Clinton, which I thought was an interesting get. Nice job, yes. Cheryl. Well you want to know how? How? She Hillary came to Chicago. Remember we talked about this on the show. I was supposed to go see her. Oh yeah. And um Cheryl was there to introduce her and do Q and A with her. They were at Roosevelt University downtown in the auditorium theater and so before they went on, they did, Steve was there too in Chicago, and Steve and Cheryl hosted this podcast with her. So here's about uh, 70 seconds of um, the interview, and we're always trying to spread the love and give our listeners different resources, and Dear Sugar is obviously a wonderful podcast. So the first person who speaks is Cheryl, and then she'll, she's obviously a, uh, asking Hillary a question. So here we go. Well before you had a, a public life or you ran for office, when you were the little girl, Hillary Rodham, mm -hmm. who wanted mm -hmm. to be somebody who had achievement and success, when are the first times that you came up against these ideas that, that our culture has about girls and success and women and success? By about uh, junior high school, uh, you know, the the idea that I might run for my class president was just batted down by boys who said, well, you know, that's, that's silly. Girls mm -hmm. don't run for president, run for secretary. Or the same in wow. high school. 
you know, gee, why don't you be in charge of doing all the work and we'll be, you know, the ones elected to the positions. Even some of my girlfriends, uh, I remember one girlfriend in high school begging uh, the advanced placement uh, biology teacher not to post the grades because her boyfriend was in the class and she thought she'd get a better grade than him. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, all of a sudden you're editing yourself and you're kind of saying, oh, you know, I... I can't go too So far. that's a little uh, taste of the interview between Cheryl and Steve and Hillary. So mm-hmm. we invite you to check that out. Um, did you listen to the whole podcast? I did. It was good? Yeah. I mean, I thought it was really wonderful. I said to Todd, I, I hope a lot of people listen to this. A lot of people listen to Dear Sugar, so I think they will. But, you know, Hillary's not running for office again. And th- this is not, it doesn't have to be this political uh, thing anymore where we're like, you either... Um, you know, like her or you don't like her. She's actually just a public person now who has a story. And her story is interesting. And her story is um, a lot of women's story, you know, and she is one of those people who, with all of these things, she kind of shares a lot of how she moved through um, her own experience with um, misogyny Mm. um, and how, and you know, not just in present time, but when she was younger and in high school and, you know, in law school, like that she tells that story about how she went to, she was deciding between Harvard and Yale law Mm. school. And she was at kind of a mixer with the professors at Harvard. And one of her friends- Was it Harvard or Yale? It was one of the two schools. Well, she ended up going to Yale. So that's why she was at this mixer at Harvard. And and one of her friends, who was a a man, was with her and introduced her to a professor and said, Professor, you know, this is Hillary Rodham. She's considering going here. She's considering between here and our closest competitor. And, you know, here she is. And the professor said to her, well, first of all, we don't have a close competitor. And second of all, we don't need any more women in law. Wow. So just that experience. And then she, of course, chose to go to the to, other school. Right. Um, but that's, that is her norm. Mm-hmm. Like that was, and I think a lot of women, maybe they haven't had that extreme of a, you know, a blatant, like, we don't want you. Yeah. Because the other thing she, uh, I don't want to take away too much from the podcast, but she was talking about when she went to take the LSTAT and there were a lot of men there, obviously it was all men. And, and then there was herself and one other woman and all the men were like, get out of here you know, we don't need women in law and you are hurting men by being here because we could get called up for the draft. Mm -hmm. You're taking a space. You're taking a space and you need to, you know. And if I die at the war, my blood will be on your hands. Right. Talk about manipulation and just, I don't know, utter insanity. Well, and putting the, putting that onus on the wrong person. Right. That, you know, and that's the thing is that it's not the, the interview isn't just about Hillary. It's about these, what we're in right now, the system that we're in and how interesting it is. I actually, last night, Todd was telling me a few more people, um, who have been, and again, I know this is somewhat separate, but connected who have been, uh, accused or, um, they have allegedly committed sexual assault. And, you know, I think Jeffrey Tambor came up last night and Russell Simmons. And so I actually, before I was going to bed, I like pulled up a list. I was like, okay, where are we right now with this? And 
there are names I didn't even know, you know, people who are in the, who are big names in the industry, people who are big names in politics beyond Al Franken. Um, you know, just this is, there is a movement right now that is saying no more. Well, and to that end, um, one of my good friends, John Duffy, who actually will also be at the conference, by yes. the way, Cheryl's going to be at the conference. And if you want to ask her about her interview with Hillary or anything else, come to the conference yes. and you can ask her the yeah, question. Absolutely. Uh, but John Duffy's going to be at the conference as well. And he and I are kind kind of uh, very enthusiastic and passionate about talking about this hashtag me too and uh, and um, you know being advocates for change yes exactly so I'm actually searching out for some groups of men so John and I can go speak with them I'm trying to get together with one group of men that I know already exists so anyways if anybody's out there in the Chicagoland area um, let me know because John and I want to talk to other men about this. So what you're asking when you say if there's anyone out there in the Chicagoland area, do you mean groups of men that groups would like men. to hear you guys speak? Just have a discussion yeah. about it because mm-hmm. that's the only way we're going to get anywhere. Right. So anyways, and so that's the deal with um, Cheryl Strait and Hillary Clinton and John Duffy and everybody else. Yeah. So um, the guts of today's show is going to be talking about um, – a woman that I saw present last week as part of the Glenbard Parenting Series. She wrote a book called The Gift of Failure. And instead of getting into, you know, the guts of, um, you know, what the content of the book, I want to instead start with a story. Because one of the things that Jessica says, it's very similar to what you and I talk about Correct. on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm. So this isn't really new information to our listeners, but it's spun in a slightly different way that I think allows for some learning to take place. Mm-hmm. So as far as I could tell, I've only read about a third of the book, but it's really good. And um, the main the main core, I mean, obviously you learn from your mistakes, the gift of failure, but the core of it is intrinsic motivation. Mm-hmm. And um, she tells this story uh, about, um, you know, her son um, uh, left his math homework on the kitchen table. Mm-hmm. And she didn't know whether or not she should um, take it to school. And she actually took to Facebook because she was in the process of writing this book. She had a bunch of, you know, viral articles on the in the, Atlant- in the Atlantic and New York Magazine or something like that. And she didn't know what to do because her old pattern was, I'm going to go save my kid. Because I know he forgot his homework. I know he did it. And I just need to, you know, deliver it to the school. And as parents of middle schoolers and uh, high schoolers for you and I, these opportunities show up every now and again. In elementary school, too. In elementary Mm -hmm. school. And uh, she went to Facebook and she's like, just so everybody knows, I'm struggling because I want to bring bring the homework for my son, but I know it's not the right thing to do. And all these women said, no, you do what's right and teach them. Uh, you know, intrinsic motivation and understand its consequences. So anything. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the feedback she got from that. But before I do that, an hour ago, my daughter, Cameron, uh, forgot her clarinet. Mm-hmm. She does band in the morning before school. Mm-hmm. And I saw it sitting on the kitchen floor. And I'm like, wow, this is so interesting that I'm going to have an opportunity to talk about this. Um, and it's happening in real time mm-hmm. an hour before I press record on this podcast. So I'm like, what should I do? I'm, these are my options. I could do nothing. I could call her. I could go run it down to the bus stop. Mm-hmm. I can do all these things. And I decided to do nothing. Um, so I'm like, I'm just going to allow her to accept the consequences. So lo and behold, she gets to school 10 minutes later. 
realizes she forgot her clarinet. She calls me up. Dad, I'm so sorry. I forgot my clarinet. Would you mind possibly bringing it to school? And I'm like, wow. So the way my morning ran, I actually had some time this morning. So I could do one of two things. I could say, nope, sorry, you forgot it. Tough, deal with it. Mm -hmm. Or I could say, um, yes, I'll bring it over. So I, I actually said, just be outside. Right. Make it easy for me. Make it easy for me. So I get there with the clarinet. She's nowhere to be found. I bet the bus wasn't there yet. Uh, that's possibility. I don't know. No, I think because she called me from school. Oh, she was already there. Okay. So she wasn't outside. Okay. So I'm like, what do I do? So I just parked the car and I'm sitting there. And then I saw her friend. And I said, would you mind giving this to Cameron? Perfect. So that's what I did. So, um, and just for the record, the author, Jessica, and and... Her parenting philosophy and my parenting, our parenting philosophy are very much in alignment. But in this specific instance, it's not because um, because she brought this example up when she was doing the discussion. She's like, no, you have to let her suffer the consequences and all that. And what you and I teach, Kathy, or what we practice is if you have an opportunity to get your daughters back, like help her out when something happens, that we do it. Now, it's all about balance. Well, and let me explain. Sure. It's not, see, this is the thing is when we start to get dive into books or when we start to dive into here's what you do when, then all of a sudden we lose the present time humanity aspect. We start to look at a book and say, oh, there's math homework. The gift of failure book told me not to bring it, so I'm not going to do it. Sure. Or I listened to Zen Parenting and they told me to bring it, so mm. I'm going to do it. It's about real time, meaning... The difference is, I think I even said on the show a couple weeks ago that uh, Skylar forgot her math homework. It just so happened to be math homework on the table, and I and I saw her folder, and I knew I wasn't going to bring it to school. You mm. want to know why? Because she doesn't have a phone. She's not going to call me. There's no reason for me to go drop it off at school. I'm in no. I have no interest in like saving her, and I also didn't even know if she needed it there. Like yeah. I, it kind of had nothing to do with me. And this is kind of what we're going to talk about sure. here. It had nothing to do with me. So I I got an email later that day from her teacher that said, you know, Skylar didn't turn in her homework. It was one of those like automated emails that right. just like, you know, homework hasn't been turned in for blah, blah, blah. So Skylar got home and I said, you know, what'd you do? And she said, well, I didn't have it. And, you know, and I said, you know, it's here on the table, whatever. And she brought it the next day. It was over. Right. Now, the situation that you just talked about is different than finding a clarinet on the ground or finding a math folder on the table. She called and said, I just realized I don't have it. Can you bring it to me? Here's the thing. There are times that you are traveling and that I am home with Skylar or that I teach in the morning and I've already left and we could not bring it to her. In that case, no, mm -hmm. we can't. We yeah. literally can't. And I don't feel guilty about that. Sure. I don't feel like we're leaving her in, you know, high and dry. Like that was, it just doesn't work. Yeah. This morning, we live five minutes from her school. Right. You're home. I'm home. She just pulled up. She has a phone and she can be like, bring it to me. There's no, if Todd was like, nope, I'm not going to do that. Yep. Then it would be a rote decision based on, I'm going to do what this book says. 
there are times she's, and believe me, there's been plenty of times where she hasn't been able to, you know, she's said, will you, you know, come drop off my outfit for cross country? I can't. Mm. You're going to have to wear your gym clothes. You're, you know, can you, you know, JC forgot her towel for swimming at school. Can you drop off a towel? I can't. But in this case, we could. Well, and that's the thing. A few things. One is every scenario is different, different. from the other. Correct. Within the same family, within the same kid. Correct. We're recording this on November 20th. Mm-hmm. They started school in August. Right. This is the first time all year she's ever left that her she's clarinet. ever left her clarinet. Exactly. If this happened again tomorrow, I might be I might handle it differently. Correct. So I think that's what I'm trying to say. And here's what's funny, because when Jessica was doing her her presentation, I was agreeing with most everything she said for the entire hour, but I didn't agree with this part. And what was great about it is she actually read an e- uh, uh, a Facebook message that she got from um, somebody that she has a lot of uh, rapport with. And um, this is what she got. You know, all the moms are like, yeah, teach her a lesson and all that. Right, let stuff. her deal with the consequences. But somebody gave a different opinion, and this is what it said. Jessica, I admire you greatly, and I hope you... As I hope you know, but I could not do this. I forget things every day. I have driven things to my husband's office that he has left on the kitchen counter. I think a certain level of distraction is inevitable in our lives, no matter how hard we try, and high school kids are the most overwhelmed by it. I would be so happy that the homework was done on time, neat and ready, that unless I was unable to do so, I would take it to school. I would save my consequences for homework that was not done or was not done well. I thought about her words for the rest of the morning. I had to admit that, yes, I would go out of my way to deliver a friend's forgotten wallet or my husband's forgotten forgotten power cord. So why would I treat my children any differently? Because I'm not raising those other people. I'm treating my children differently because I have a greater responsibility to them than to make them happy and grateful for my love and support. In order to raise competent, capable adults, I have to love them enough to put their learning before my happiness. And see... Okay, good. Like, okay, period. Period. That's a beautiful sentence. The email was beautiful. What Jessica decided to do is fine. I have no judgment. Because like you started this saying by saying sometimes you, when you set things up, Todd, you say things like, we disagree with what she says. I don't disagree. But the piece that I, I'm not, I don't parent different than that. But the piece that is different is I don't have a system or a decision making in place about that, that applies to all situations. We don't go with systems. There is no system. And so the difference is, is like, I am the combination of both. Of, so you kind of... Um, yeah, I started I with the with the email and then I went right into her into response. Into Jessica's response. And so hopefully you guys could differentiate between there was yeah. the email of the woman saying, you know, I would drop something off at school. And then Jessica said, you know, I've decided to put my child's learning before. The thing is, is there's this belief we have that in other situations, they're not learning. Mm-hmm. And they are. Yeah. Like there's plenty of times that my, actually JC has woken up a few times this year and been like, oh my gosh, I totally didn't finish something that I forgot I was supposed to finish. And she's sitting there at breakfast, mulling through it really fast. And that doesn't happen all the time, but I'm not helping. I'm not, I'm also not criticizing. I'm also not, she's dealing with the fact that she forgot something mm-hmm. and she gets to school and it's only halfway done. And she has a consequence right there and it has nothing to do with me. I think the piece of this is that I I also believe at the same time that our kids are learning in situations outside of, you know, leaving their clarinet on the the floor and that we don't have to create a learning situation and that we are also teaching them how to be empathetic and supportive people. Yes. And if somebody called them mm-hmm. and said, "I forgot my coat at, you know, right. the park, will you bring it to my house?" 
I wouldn't want them to be like, no, yeah. you left it. Well, and it's so funny because like you said, every situation <laughs> is, is different, different because even in Jessica's situation, her son didn't call, That's, like you're not talking to this person on the phone. If I saw, like I said with Skyler's homework, when I saw it on the table, I yeah. was not going to bring it to her. Yeah. I have no interest in saving right. my children from that. Like that's not my job. My job is to be a support system for them, which is very different than saving them. Yeah. And I... If I would have seen Cameron's clarinet on the floor, like later today when I was upstairs, I wouldn't have done a thing about it. Sure. I would have been like, oh, she lost her, you know, not lost. She left her clarinet. Oh, she already had to deal with that because yeah. by then it'd be 10 a.m. Right. So I wouldn't do anything about it. But when she calls and says, I have now realized, just like, you know, you would call and say, I left my wallet or I left my phone. Right. I don't. And again, you guys may disagree and you may say, no, Kathy, that doesn't work with my kid. And I totally honor that. But to me, it doesn't make sense in my body to say no. Mm-hmm. And because sometimes when they call me, I'm on my way to Dominican to yeah, teach right. and I can't do it. Right. So I have to say, girls, I can't. And there's kind of like, oh, okay. Well, and what I would say is that the world is 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 tough enough. Right. There's so many lessons out there that they get on a daily basis. That's what I mean. Yes. And there's times when we can't support them and mm-hmm. help them. And that's just, they have to suffer the consequences. But what I think is that what I did for Cameron this morning is I made a deposit into our emotional bank account. Right. If I would have said, sorry, kid, you forgot it. Well, let me back up from that. A, you could B, she recognized what she had done on her own and called you and said, can you help me? C, then you made the emotional deposit. So you didn't say, I'm going to bring this so I make an emotional deposit. Or I could have, before she even called, I could have t- picked, it, picked it up and ran it to the bus right, stop. And you didn't I wasn't going to do that exactly. either. And, so it's a tricky balance. And and that's the thing is I, is I don't think it has to be as tricky as we make it. The reason that we make it tricky is we depend on somebody else to tell us how to do it. We read a book and we say, I I'm going to do what this book says to do. Mm. Instead of bringing in our own relationship with our child, our own experience of that day, and being a lot more real. Right. Like, you know, I mean, we keep saying this over and over again, but here, I'll say it one more time before we move on. If it works and makes sense, why not? Because 50% of the time it doesn't work or make sense. And if they leave something and they don't call, then they don't, then you don't do anything about it because yeah. they're not asking you to. And it to me, it's it's breaking down that parent-child role again, mm. where it's just being human to human or soul to soul. Like right. if you called me from a meeting downtown and said, oh my gosh, Kathy, I left my wallet and I need to you know pay for this dinner or whatever, I would run it over to you in a second right. because that doesn't happen very often and, and I would want to help. So the thing is, is I think the fear we always get when we do something for our kids like that is then we say they're going to take advantage of us and manipulate us and, you know, it's all downhill from here. And the thing is, is you have to remember, like Todd said, if they call you the next day and say, can you bring my clarinet again? Then you may say, you know what? I did this yesterday, but today it's not going to work. Right. So there's always – I just don't think we need to come up with a plan all the time. Right. Why can't we just be present with what's happening that day? Well, and what I, uh, what we always say when we present to groups is, you know, listen to us, read your books, and then forget about <laughs> and everything we said, day. and then yeah. just trust the situation, trust your intuition. Don't do something because you and I said something to do something. You and I said something, or this book said that you have to do. Just 
treat every situation a little bit differently and then adjust as you go along. And you know that mom that wrote that letter to her and said, you know, I think our high school kids or our middle school kids or whatever are some of the most overwhelmed that there are. True. And I think that that's true. Yeah. I think the expectation of them, like... I can't tell you how many times, especially JC, who's in high school, she takes the bus, she walks out the door, runs back in the door. I forgot my towel. You know, they're doing a swimming unit right now. Walks out the door, runs back in. I forgot my smoothie. Like her, she's... She's not on dis, she's not disorganized. She's got 10 things to remember. Yeah. And she is remembering in her own time. Well, and what was what was great about this book for me was it you know, sometimes like Zen parenting, what does that mean? And you know, we have our mottos and all that, but it's hard for me to encapsulate what our belief system is and how we treat ourselves and our kids and things like that. And, um, you know, just the idea of intrinsic motivation, like, you know, if I were to ask you to define either intrinsic or ed- extrinsic motivation, how would you, would you want to offer up a definition sure. for either of those two? Um, sure. Uh, intrinsic motivation is the ability within ourselves to make choices that are motivating. So intrinsic is when we have our own moral compass, our own set of values, and that we would act the same in front of people as we would not in front of people, that it all comes from within. Extrinsic motivation is being motivated to do something by outside rewards. If it be- Or punishment. Or punishment. Um, If it be uh, that somebody pats us on the back, we do something only because other people are seeing it, or we don't do something because other people are seeing it. Well, let's focus real quickly on the rewards. And and I know we practice this, but it's nice just to get some background for it. And I know you're trained in this, so Mm -hmm. you're have it, but I talked to you last night about B.F. Skinner uh-huh. and how he did this thing. So the first thing is studies show for the parents out there that, you know, pay kids for grades or, I don't know, sit them in a corner when they're toddlers, you know, in, you know. You mean the, like timeouts? You know, there's a whole spectrum uh-huh. on that. They, they're not good long-term fixes. Correct. They work well sometimes in the short term. Uh-huh. And not, but the studies show, like science says, I know it's like you and I usually do this podcast because something feels right Mm -hmm. or doesn't feel right, Mm -hmm. but they've done studies that Mm -hmm. say that this stuff doesn't work. Yet a lot of parents uh, out there are doing some of these things. It's kind of autopilot parenting. And I don't mean that to be disparaging. What I mean is that in our society, these things are our norm. Mm. You know, rewards and consequences are the norm and they've gotten handed down and they are socially acceptable. So this is what it says. Rewards don't work because humans perceive them as an attempt to control behavior, which undermines intrinsic motivation. Second, human beings are more likely to stick with tasks that arise out of their own free will and personal choice. Given the choice between sticking with I have to task or do something else, most people would choose to do anything that is the product of their autonomy and self-determination. And he talks about, she talks about B.F. Skinner. And an example is, when was the last time you saw a seal balance a ball on his nose without a trainer standing there with a fish in his offing? So that's the first kind of big bullet point I want to go over is, you know, rewards sometimes, and, you know, we talk about rewards or punishment, you know, when you yell at your kids or you ground them, you know, that may modify the behavior in the short run, but in the long run, it simply doesn't work, right? Well, yeah. And here's the thing. So I think it's scary when when I talk about this with uh, moms and dads and, you know, when they're in front of me, it it can be kind of frightening for them because they're like either, A, I've been doing this all along Mm -hmm. and I don't know what else to do or they have a sense of, okay, then I just let my kid fail and and be, you know – 
not do well or not think that school is important. And that's not the case either. I think what we, and this is a lot of what this book is about too, Jessica Leahy's book, is what we don't understand is what our role in our children's life actually is. And a lot of us view our role as being the protector and the one who makes them do things and tells them to do things and encourages them to do things because if we don't, they will have no motivation to do it themselves. And that is not true. Now, you guys may say, but you don't know my kid or this kid has no, you know, uh, desire to do anything. And I would disagree without even meeting your child and say they do have a desire to do something, Mm -hmm. but it may not be the things that you want them to do. Because what we actually do with our kids is we say, here's the things I want you to do. And I am going to tell you to do it. And I'm going to explain to you how to do it. And I will reward you or I will punish you, I'm putting that in quotes, if you don't. And so then we base our our uh how we how we speak of that kid or what we think of that kid to be on how they rise to those challenges. Rather than stepping back and saying, who is this kid? How are they motivated? Um what is the best way to speak with them about things? What are the things that, what are they interested in? And then how do I express a sense of what our value system is within our home and what could help them in life? For example, one thing that Todd and I have talked about with the girls since they were very little, we've never, we never talk about grades and about being the best or winning, but we've always talked about the importance of education. And that education is actually an opportunity to be curious and learn something and the opportunity to figure out what you like and figure out what's enjoyable and also realize that some, like we have uh, one of our daughters this year, two years ago, math was like the worst to her. She just could not stand math. And now she loves math. And rather in third grade, in third grade, we could have been like, well, math's just not your thing, Mm -hmm. or you need to get a tutor, or this is a problem. But we didn't do anything. Right. We were just like, oh, right now you don't like math. And then all of a sudden in her own life, because she has an amazing teacher and because she has these kids in her class that she loves being with, now she likes math. Neither of those things have anything to do with us. Yeah. She's living her life without us telling her what to like and what to do. And she's having these experiences and we are standing on the outside of it, supporting her and helping her if she asks for. And mm-hmm. I mean, of course, we help her with her homework if she needs it. And, you know, we encourage her to to let her know that she's capable and that, you know, it, it's we don't tell her she's the best at math and we don't tell her things that aren't true. We just say we believe in you and whatever you want to do, we believe that you can make the effort to do it. But here's the thing. <laughs> this is where it gets hard to talk about because I'm going to say this sentence and people are going to go, what do you mean? I don't care. Like, I don't spend my time thinking, how do I get my daughters to be the best at this? Or how do I make them excel at this? And I think what you're saying is it's not going to fill you up. Like, you're not going to identify with their successes or their failures. Like, you're, you'll you'll deal with the successes Correct. and the failures, but your own self-worth is not predicated upon whether or not your kid does or doesn't score a soccer goal or your kid no. does or doesn't get an A in a class. It, not only does it not, and I, this is, okay, it has nothing to do with me. My child's life is not my life. 
my job with my child is to support them in their life. So if I get too overly involved, then all of a sudden I'm directing where they go and I'm telling them what to think. And they are now what I am doing, again, just so you guys feel comfortable with this train of thought. I am talking to them about value systems. I am talking to them about the importance of education. We have a structure in place that when they come home, the first thing they do is their homework or a snack or homework. (laughs) We have a system that reflects our values. values. But I'm not saying, okay, now we're going to spend the next three nights at Mathnasium this week. That's kind of like a tutoring tutoring. center. So you are getting the best on the test. And it's kind of like go with their flow. Yeah. Well, I think what you're saying is we set up these kind of, I don't know if the correct term is loose parameters. Yeah. And then leave it up to them to To figure out how they're going to do those things. Correct. Like, do you have to go to school? Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the deal. It's a law, too. Do you have to get A's? No. Do you have to give a, a good effort? Yeah, yes. You do. Do you have to show up? Yeah. yeah. Do you, are, If you signed up for band or for orchestra, do you need to go to practice in the morning? Yeah. yeah. That's it's that's the thing is a lot of these things that people I talk to are like, oh my gosh, this is so hard. This is so difficult. What I, what I coach them in is step back from it for a second and let's see who really wants this to happen. Because if you feel like you're rowing upstream, which means that everything is hard, your kid doesn't want to go to dance, your kid doesn't want to show up, your kid doesn't want to, where are the parts of you that are being forceful and determining this child's fate? Mm -hmm. Because if you pull back from that for a second and say, what do they want? What are they interested in? And you know what? Here's here's the thing that's interesting, Todd. They might be average. Mm They may not be Most the best. of the people who are listening who have children, by definition... They're average. Our kids are average. And you know what? Including ours. If And when I say average, I don't mean... People have a stigma against I that word. I know. They hate that word. Um, I, I do that. Most and kids are average. They are. The bell curve. That's what happens. That's exactly. the whole idea of what a bell curve is. And the thing that I don't have... The reason I don't have an issue with that word is I feel like there's a lot of... Um, if you're good at something, good enough to do it and enjoy it, that's good enough because that's kind of my, been my life. Yeah. Like there are many things I'm good at and there's many things I'm not, but I've never felt that pressure to play king of the hill and be the best at something. Mm. I mean, sometimes too, like, you know, when Todd and I have these conversations about work, I'm like, no, I don't need that. Yeah. And, you know, and, but you know what I do need? I need to feel good about who I am. And I need to know that I'm loving people and I need to feel connected. Like, you know, we had Todd and I had a talk this weekend about the realization that um, the only thing that nourishes me and makes me feel like a human being is if I'm connecting to people. And if I'm not, I feel empty. You feel lost. So that is something I want my children to understand about themselves. I want them to understand what are the things that make them feel like a human. Them being the biggest goal kicker or... Did you just say biggest goal kicker? (laughs) Sweetie, come on. Okay. Being the biggest score maker. (laughs) What's the word I'm looking for? Say best soccer player. Best soccer player. There you go. Well, how do we even determine that? But that could make them excited and they could have a great weekend because of it or maybe they get some kind of trophy. But it doesn't sustain. Then they have to keep being the best to even get that feeling. So what have we taught our kids that those things are the icing. Like, it doesn't mean those things are bad. If you've got a kid who excels and they are gifted in some area, awesome. There's nothing wrong with that. But 
at the same time, could they appreciate who they are as a human being? So when they aren't the best at something, because that's going to happen at some point in life, if it's when they go to college or, you know, get into high school or get out in the real world, that they still are okay with who they are. We've done 400 podcasts <laughs> about this. I know. And above anything else, it's role modeling. I know. It's modeling. And forget about role modeling. It's just, you know, the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. It's another way, because forget about what you say to your kids. Forget about the systems you set up for your kids. Like, you have to do all those yeah, things. Yeah, yeah. But the foundation of everything is how do you show up? Right. How do you show up in adversity? How do you show up when somebody cuts you off on the street when you're driving your car? How do you show up when something bad happens? Do you show up and complain and whine and, and become a victim? Or do you assert yourself and step up and say, this is happening to me for a reason and I have something to pull from this negative experience? I got some bad news yesterday personally about this business that Kathy and I are a part of, like kind of- some, Not the Zen parenting Not business. Zen parenting. Mm -hmm. It's a completely different side business. And, you know, part of me wants to be like, oh, why me? Why me? And another part of me is like, all right, I got something to learn here. Well, and let me let me step back from the lesson because the lesson is often what we jump to. We don't need to jump to the lesson yet. The What I tell the girls before you can get the lesson, because lessons are hindsight. Um, lessons for you, I think, are motivating. Like I'll jump in here so I can learn something. For me, my language is I am built to deal with this. Yeah. I can handle adversity. I have the tools and the people and the support to get through this. And then when I'm on the other side, I'll be able to see the lesson. Right. So we don't always have to be in the, oh, take this on because you're going to be stronger. It can just be take this on because you don't have a choice. Yeah. And, right now things suck. And you can do it. You are built for it. You are, you are hardwired for this challenge. So it's okay. And, and then that's who, you know... Like Todd said, we I'm very clear about with my girls that I am not them, that they are separate from me, and that Todd is separate from me. And this is a uh, I, we did a podcast a couple of years ago where I told this story that I'm I'm not going to tell the whole story, but where I actually had somewhat of a spiritual breakdown. You know, I was really depressed and eventually had this breakthrough, breakdown, breakthrough, whatever you want to call it, where I realized that I had to surrender everybody I loved, that I had to let them all go. And and so many of you would be like, what does that mean? I didn't literally let them go. I still live here and Todd's still my husband and my girls are still my girls. But I was holding so tight to my relationships and who they were and how it was going to be and would it all be okay. And I had to let it all go and just be in it. And I had to realize when bad things happen to Todd or when Todd is challenged, that's not mine. My job is I just get to love him through it and support him and be like, how can I help you? And with my girls, when they're struggling or, you know, when they're going through things with friends or they aren't doing well in a class or whatever, my job isn't to step in and say, okay, now I'm going to take over or now I'm going to stress about it with you. You know, Todd was reminding me last night that something I used to say all the time in presentations is, I don't want to be in high school again. I don't want to be in middle school. And I don't want to deal with those things. I'm done with that. And a lot of times we regress into our child, our six-year-old self, our high school self, when our high school or our sixth grader is going through something. And it takes a little bit of space in between there in order to be able to be the person that your child needs you to be. Because if you show up and you feel as you have the same problem they do or that you're living it with them, you can't help them because you are as heavy an energy as the next 
next person. Like those are the kind of situations I see this all the time, especially with mothers and daughters, where the mother is more concerned about something than the daughter is. And I'm sure this is true with fathers and sons and sons mm. and, and moms, but you know, the mom shows up and is like, well, what about your friends? Why aren't you going out on Friday? You know, well, what about, oh, you didn't make this team? Oh no, what are we going to do? And the girl is like, what do you mean? What are we going to do? This has nothing to do with you. And the difference is how does the mom come in? The mom comes in and says, how are you doing? Yeah, that's disappointing. Can I support you? Do you want to go to dinner tonight and talk about it? Okay, that's fine. Do you need some space? Like, don't, it's, you have to be outside of it to help them. And this is the case, I think, with any age. It just so happens our girls are this age, so we're in this deep practice with it. And I feel like as your partner, the and again, I still – you guys, just so you know, like I still can dive into that place where I can make it my problem in my head and the practice is coming out of it. Like, you know, Todd can struggle with something and I can go in there with him and struggle just as much, but then I'm not helping Todd. You know what I'm doing? I'm making it more stressful to him. Mm -hmm. I'm asking questions like, well, what are you going to do? Did you do this? Did you make the phone call? Did you – and then all of a sudden, I'm mar- I'm part of the problem rather than the support system. Right. So this is not a, just so you're clear, this is not me brushing off everybody's stuff and saying, sorry, it's your problem. It's me saying, how can I be the most effective for these people I love? And it's to not get overly involved in it. It's to, st- like Todd said, keep a space so I can actually be a support system. Um, one of our partners is canvaspeople.com. Uh, they are an easy-to-use photo-to-canvas service that takes your favorite photo memories and turns them into beautiful artwork for you to enjoy every day. So instead of letting those pictures rot on your cell phones and your iPads and your computers, go to canvaspeople.com and order a, an 11 by 14 canvas. Because if you do that and you type in the coupon code ZEN, it will... Um, discount the price from sixty nine ninety nine down to zero. That's right. You just pay shipping. So um, I still can't believe they do this um, this coupon code for us, but they do. So it's a free canvas, 11 by 14, canvaspeople.com. Check them out. Coupon code is zen. Um, so I have a whole bunch of things I want to get to, and we're not going to be able to get to most of it. Can I read just one thing just to finish this, sure. this thought? Because it's from Jessica's book. Sure. Um, again, it's called The Gift of Failure. She said that overparenting, teaches kids that without our help, they will never be able to surmount challenges. When we save them from risk and failure, we communicate to our kids that we don't have faith in their ability to grow, improve, and surmount challenges. And we encourage a fixed mindset. And I'll just back up for a second and say, she refers in this book a lot to Carol Dweck's book Mm -hmm. called Mindset about the difference between a fixed mindset, which is you can either do something or you can't, and a growth mindset, which is that everything is about learning and growing. And even if you, you know, quote unquote, fail, that there's something to learn and move through. Fixed is where you think you're either, I'm good at math, I'm bad at math. And growth mindset is, this is challenging for me, but if I learn it, I can move to the next level. So this sort of overparenting, this sort of dependence created by rescuing may feel like connectedness, but because it communicates a lack of faith in them, it's not connectedness. It's saying, you couldn't have done this without me. And that's something I don't believe in with my friends, with Todd, with my girls. I believe they can do 
anything. They mm-hmm. have the capacity and the ability to do anything. My job is to remind them of that and to be a support system so they can do it. So I want to talk about Carol Dweck next. Yeah. Okay. And she brought this up and this kind of like drives home the point of what you just said about the difference between a fixed mindset, which is, hey, thing, I'm just either good at something or not, or growth mindset, which helps our kids and ourselves overcome adversity, which right. is really how you, you know, she talks about that's how you deliver things. <clears throat> From short-term memory to long-term memory, yeah. it's from having these experiences. So Carol Dweck, who wrote a book called Mindset, I think one of the foundations of her uh, of her teaching is that there was this um, study that she performed. Okay. And there's um, X amount of kids in a classroom, and they all took a test. And they all got about eight right. It was, it was somewhat challenging, but they knew they would get about an 80%, basically. <clears throat> and they she broke the kids... <clears throat> She broke the kids up into two groups. Half the group, this is what they said to the kids. You got eight right. That's a really good score. You must be smart at this. Mm, Okay. The other half, they said, you got eight right. That's a really good score. You must have worked really hard. Mm -hmm. Thinking there's really not much difference between those two examples. But here's what's interesting is the next day they came back and gave them a slightly more difficult test. And the kids who were told how smart they were did either the same or a bit worse. Mm-hmm. And the kids who said, who were told how hard they tried and were applauded for their effort as opposed to the outcome, they actually did a little better. Right. So that's interesting because, you know, it should be, they should all get about the same, but because they were reinforced differently, it gave a different result. Well, and again, because this is a study, it's it's focused on the outcome. But what I'm more interested in within that study, which this is too uh, difficult to assess and probably get it um, into... Is it quantifiable? Is that the word? But it's not just about did the kids do better because they were told something. How did they feel? Mm-hmm. How what was yeah, their that's emotional the next layer experience? Below. Yeah, like because she's saying the kids who were told, you know, you got eighty percent, you must have worked really hard. Well, they actually did better the next time, but maybe they didn't do better. But they weren't stressed. Mm-hmm. They weren't overwhelmed. They were like, you know what? I am working hard and, and maybe this is all I know right now, but I'm continuing to work hard and I don't feel that level of anxiety that I have to perform. Mm-hmm. Where the other kids, it sounds like they did worse or, you know, the kids who Same were told. Or worse. Yeah, they were, you know, you're really smart. And they didn't want to take the risk of not being that smart. Yeah. So they didn't go above or beyond or get curious about anything else or what's a different way to look at this. Well, that was the second step of the test. So after, so so the first test happens and then she comes back and hits them up with a second test. And then after the second test, she asks them if anybody wants to do challenge questions. Cool, yeah. Right? So the kids who were told how smart they were, they didn't want to do the of challenge questions. Yeah. And the kids who were applauded for their effort did want to do it. And then just to take one more step after that, um, the last kind of assignment was the she invited the students to write feedback to other students taking the same test and then to also say how they did on it. So on the back of the piece of paper, um, say, you know, write something to the students that might, that they might gain value from, and then write what percentage you got right on the test. And the kids who were told how smart they were, about 40% of them lied of what they got. Wow. And the kids who were told um, about their effort told the truth. 
Yeah. You know, there's oh. variables, but generally speaking, so basically just by this one study or this one minor reinforcement, either you're smart or you worked hard, produced insanely different results. Okay. And so let's dive into that for a second, because um, historically speaking, there was a big uh, pushback on giving kids praise, right? And we've already talked about that. It was in Poe Bronson's book, Nurture Shock. And there was this big backlash to don't praise kids because it will hurt them. Now that you understand Carol Dweck's work, you understand that it's not praise that causes the problem. It's what kids are being praised for. If kids are told... um, you're really smart. You're the best. You are the best at this. You are always good at this. Then they don't want to take risks because they don't want to not be those things. They feel like that is a fixed thing that they are. And if they take any risks or fail, they are no longer that thing. If you praise a kid for trying hard, for putting in the effort, for taking the time, for being thoughtful, and it's not about their outcome, but it's about what they put into it, they are willing to take risks, to put more effort, to try new patterns, because they recognize that what they're being praised for is the effort and not the outcome. So again, it's always good to go back in time and recognize how sometimes we take research the wrong way, that the backlash about praise was not correct. This comes right from her book. She says, imagine a kid who has been told that he has a talent for math, first sees a complex algebra formula Mm -hmm. in class and can't understand it. He thinks, my parents tell me I'm smart, but I can't be, not if I can't understand this right away, and I can't let them find out the truth. It's a terrible bind to put kids in and drives them underground. Well, and this is where kids start to cheat. Mm-hmm. You know, just like you said on the back of that sheet, they were yeah, lying. Right. Um, I ran into that even in my own high school time, like some of the kids who were thought of to be super smart or that they always got straight A's. And some of these kids were kids that cheated off of me. Right. And not because I necessarily had all the answers, but I'm like, why are you cheating? Yeah. If you're, you know, but it's because they couldn't deal with the fact that they might not be seen as the smartest. And so they were willing to take whatever risks and bend their moral compass, whatever way it needed to bend, to make sure they stayed and remained the king of the hill. The 4.0, the National Honor Society. I have to keep this up. I have to keep this up. It's about the results. This is who I am. This result is who I am. The difference with the um, growth mindset is who I am is curious. Who I am is willing to lead a charge. Who I am is willing to take on a challenge. And sometimes I excel and sometimes it doesn't work out so well. But even when it doesn't, okay, let me tell you two things that I focus on a lot with our girls. Two things. Number one, if they get a test back and they don't feel good about it, um, and we're lucky because lucky is the wrong word. We have an open communication in our home where they come home and tell us and say, look at this. And they don't always feel good about it. Right. You know, like, uh, you know, they come home and say, oh, my gosh, look at look at this. I did not do well. So what we always encourage them to do is, you know, first question, like in high school, you can retake tests a lot. So is this one you can retake? Um, yes or no? You know, that's that's one answer. And then we'll say, just go talk to the teacher. And I said, you may not get this grade changed. They may say, sorry, this grade is not changing. But what you are demonstrating is that you care and you are demonstrating that you recognize that what was expected of you did not happen. And you also are asking for support or you are letting them know that this is something I don't understand yet. It's about communication. And again, do not get attached to the outcome that it'll change your grade. Right. I say that all the time. This is not for a grade change. This is for communication. And the other thing I always focus on is 
extra credit. I mean, since they were in like kindergarten, they would be like, oh, this is extra credit. Do it. Yeah. Do it. Why do extra credit? You I don't need it. You force them to do it? No. You you, you politely nudge them. I'm, but I, I say it almost in a game way. Yeah. I don't say it in a, you will get a good grade. It's not about that. Why wouldn't you in life, not just in grades, when someone says, I'm going to hand you something that will make everything else easier, but you do need to take the time and get this done. Not only will it make things easier, it will demonstrate to me that you care. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you do and, – and that's how I'm trying to teach my kids intrinsically is I teach them from the bottom up, not do this paper so you get an A, which is top down. It's what is what is extra credit? Someone's saying here's an opportunity and you getting the opportunity to demonstrate you care and maybe learn something. So why wouldn't you do that? But what Todd said is true. They don't always do it, but that's the way I approach it. So I have three responses to the whole your kid brain. You know, one one response regarding something you said a few minutes ago is that when you tell regarding praise, when you tell your kids they're smart and they're simply, uh, you know, they're getting bad grades on tests, or you know, you divide the kids up into different color codes based on their reading level, trying to hide the fact who are the good readers and who are the bad readers. <laughs> the kids know these kids are so much smarter than we give them credit for. So when you say your kid's really smart at math and the kid's struggling at math, the kid's going to think you're a fraud. Like, why are you lying to me? Like, they're smart. So the one thing. But then um, the other thing is you got to, when your kid brings home a bad grade on a test, um, you got to check your reaction. So a lot of times we like kind of freeze, like let's say, whatever, my kid fails a math math test, whatever. Um, they pick up on our reaction. Mm-hmm. So you have to be, you know, train yourself to be calm and cool and not like look like you just get disappointed because really it's not about your disappointment. It's about are they learning this or not? Um, and then uh, the other thing is, you know, when your kid comes home and gets, you know, it's 10 question test and they got eight right, you're, it's funny, you just, we find ourselves just focusing on the two that they got wrong. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage us all to, also give as much attention to the ones that they got right. You know, I remember one time, I don't know if it was my sister or me, I brought home a, one of us brought home a report card and they're like all B's and one D or all A's and one C. And like my parents are like, what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened on the C mm-hmm. or what happened on this D? Mm-hmm. Like, what about the other one? Right. <laughs> you know, it's just so easy. And I think that's our the way our brain is hardwired, it's it's trained to see what's going wrong. Survival mechanisms. Versus it's, what's going right. Right. You see the negative. Now, one thing I want to question about the second one that you said about when your child brings home a test, Reaction. you can't act disappointed. Right. And again, that's it, that's quite a thing to say. You know, don't act disappointed. But what the practice is, is separating it from yourself. Yeah. You didn't fail the test. Right. And you, what is your job in this situation? Is it to make them feel worse and to get afraid and to say you didn't study enough or what's your problem or you suck or you're never going to get into college? Is that your job or is it what happened? Tell me about it. How can I support you? Um, did you talk to the teacher about it? What are the options? Not in succession, like I'm doing right now. You're not going to overpower your kid, but it it's sometimes not easy. I struggle more when the girls have um, really studied for something or have been talking about something all week, especially writing projects where they're you know they're writing something and they're putting a lot of effort into it. And I'm noticing that, yeah. like, and they're asking for help or they're saying, "Will you edit this?" or you know, "I'm excited about this." And then it doesn't go well and they don't get a good grade. I'm 
sad for them for sure. because I know they put in the effort. Yeah. And I'm not mad at the teacher. I sure. don't get involved. I'm not like, oh, they deserve today. I don't I don't do the helicopter thing, but that's a struggle because you you're like you know that it's You so would hope that hard work gets just pays off. acknowledged. I was about to say rewarded, but at least gets acknowledged, but sometimes it doesn't. It's sometimes it doesn't because there's something that was missed and that's the curiosity piece is that what I have found with all my girls when they've run into this is there was something they didn't understand, which is what education is. This is what's so funny about human beings is we're in school and we get our kids in school and we're like, they need to know how to read when they're in kindergarten. They need to get straight A's when they're in middle school. The whole point of school is learning. Like I was just saying that to our youngest, she brought home something that she was struggling with and she was upset that she didn't do, she had not done some capitalizations and gotten red marks. And she was so upset. And I go, honey, this is what school is is. Yeah. That's the whole point. Now, if she was putting in no effort, then I'd say this is the outcome of no effort. But that's not what it was. Mm-hmm. It was, this is a piece you're still working on, thus that's why you're still in school. Yeah. There is never a time that we are done. I'm a writer, I write all the time, and I'm still not spelling things correctly. So if I was taking a fourth grade spelling test, I may not spell, I can't spell conscious for the life of me. Mm. Are there certain words that you just cannot spell? Yes. And every time I go to spell, the, the name Michael, I always put the A or the E in the wrong place. My point is, is that doesn't <laughs> determine how smart I am. Right. And that the learning, some, some things like spelling are wrote and got to memorize and everything, but it's how we look. It's again, backing up, widen your lens. What is school about? What is this relationship with my child about? How can I support them and help them rather than be the heavy in the situation? Can we get inspired by uh, a Michael Jordan Nike commercial for 30 sure, seconds? Go for it. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I've failed over and over and over again in my life. And that is why I succeed. That's right. That's MJ. That's right, Michael. That's so, an oldie. Uh, it's an oldie moldy. So real quick, you don't need to comment on this, sweetie, just because we're running out of time. But um, the way that Jessica uh, defines you know, what she thinks as, you know, um, the parent that she wants to be, because she's so great about admitting her own flaws, sure. which we all do. But you know, the, there's controlling parents and there's autonomy supportive parents. And we mm. didn't talk about autonomy directly, but we talked about it basically the whole podcast. And, and for those of you who are like, I know that word, but I can't remember. It just means to be self-starting, to have your own, um, to be able to make your own choices. Right. You have autonomy. So here's just some bullet points of what controlling parents, the behavior that control. And and I want to preface it by saying. 99 times out of 100, it's all done out of love. Yes. They're simply doing it, for lack of a better term, the wrong way. But, well, it's, but our intention is pure. We love, right. Controlling parents give lots of unsolicited advice and direction. That's number one. Number two, controlling parents take over. You can understand what they I'll just do it. You go play. You're not loading the dishwasher right. Controlling parents offer extrinsic motivators in exchange for behaviors. You get one jelly bean for every toy you clean up. Mm -hmm. Controlling parents provide solutions or the correct answer before the child has had a chance to really struggle with a problem. But honey, you know five times four is 20. You just did that down here. (laughs) Uh, Controlling parents don't let children make their own decisions. 
their own decisions. Do your math first and then your spelling, mm-hmm. right? Uh, autonomy supportive parents guide children towards solutions. For example, I know you. I know you know what five times three is. So what happens when you add another five? So basically, it's like the balance beam metaphor that you and I always use. Mm-hmm. Um, you want to put your kid on a balance beam, but you don't want to be a um, hundred feet away where you can't help, and they're going to fall and hit their head. So the metaphor is life is a balance beam and your child is walking it. So who are you? Are you the one that is like holding on to them and basically has a harness on them and you're holding their hand and you have your arm around them and you're walking them across it where they're not experiencing it? Are you not there at all and you're in the other room and you don't care if they fall and you're not around? No, it's the in-between of those two. You are on the side of them, there if they fall to, Mm -hmm. to pick them up, but not with your hands all over them where they don't get to experience how to how to balance. Right, exactly. So there's a bunch of others, but we're running out of time. So I just want to say thank you to Jessica Leahy for writing this book. If you're interested, go to amazon.com. It's, uh, you know, obviously you can get it anywhere. It's called The Gift of Failure. So thank you, Jessica. You know, on that that one that you said, I remember we did a presentation a year or so ago, and there was a woman who asked, a, again, a really good question. She said, you know, I've learned in, from research that classical music is what kids need to listen to if they're going to grow their brains. And we've all heard this, right? You know, and so she's like, I tell my kid to listen to classical music and I put it on and I say, if you're going to be in this room, you have to listen to classical music. And that is not, that's control. Your intention is good. And use it, you know, I'm using the classical music story in terms of anything, you know, your intention is good. But if you tell them that they have to do it, they are going to push away from you mm. and they are going to say it's n- because you are taking away their autonomy. You're telling them who to be and how if you say, hey, you know, do you want me to put on some classical music? No. OK. But, you know, it, it, it helps. It, it helps me sometimes. They may never use it, but in a pinch, they might. That's right. Um, I always like to balance out. Uh, one thing I like to do on the podcast is share good news stories. OK. Um, there's a guy named Brandon who's actually part of our conference. Uh-huh. Uh, he has something called a good newspaper and you can go to goodgoodgood.co. But these are some of the things that I got in the good newspaper this week. Okay. Bill Gates will invest a hundred million to find a cure for Alzheimer's. I heard that. Thank you, Bill Gates. He does amazing things for this world. He does. And now he's, he uses his money for good. Yes, he does. He's a force for good. Uh, number two, 437 schools have reopened and 450,000 children have resumed classes after East Mosul is freed from ISIS in Iraq. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Come on. That's awesome. Where's we need like fireworks for that? Or That's crazy. Just this. Yes. And then lastly, uh, representation matters. Team USA Olympian. I can't pronounce her first name. I'm sorry. It's just a really different first name. But her last name is Muhammad. Honored with the first ever hijab wearing Barbie. Yeah, well, she actually, um, do you remember her in the Olympics? No. Oh, she's a fencer, okay. correct? I don't know. Um, but she was amazing and she went really far. Um, and uh, she has a Barbie now. Yes. Um, and then um, we have something called Zen Friend, and it's people who, when when they're registering for the conference in March or they're not registering, you just want to support us through the scholarship fund because what we want to do is bring people who can and want, go, want to go to the conference to go to the conference. So it's a scholarship fund. And we have two new Zen friends. Um, actually, they're not new. They're friends, but they just donated. Okay. Uh, Anna Rains. Thank you, Anna. She's part of Team Zen. And Millie Sai. 
Millie Sai is a part of Team Zen too. Thank so you, ladies. So we have two awesome Zen friends. So thank you for donating the scholarship fund. If you're listening to this and you want to help us out to put on a great conference, regardless of whether or not you're attending the conference, go to uh, zenparentingradio.com, go to events, and you can actually just donate and be a Zen friend. And, really and actually, help. the easiest way to do it is zenparentingconference.com, and then go. there's an option for Zen friends. Yeah, you have to go to the registration. There's a lot of clicks if you go to zenparentingradio.com. And even if you're not registering for the conference uh, to attend, you can still be a Zen friend. So mm-hmm. thanks. And then lastly, um, we have a partner. Uh, we have par- partners at the conference. And the one I want to give a shout out today is uh, David Serrano. He is our financial advisor, and he is a uh, wonderful, he's heart-centered person, and he's good at what he does. So he'll be at the conference, but if anybody out there wants to find a financial planner that you trust, um, I trust David, and his phone number is 815-370-3780. Um, and I guess that's about all I got. Yeah, I got a bail. All right, sweetie. All right, so everybody, hey, happy Thanksgiving if you're listening to this on the way to your family um, and or if you're cooking in the kitchen and you're listening or whatever. It's Thanksgiving week, so we're grateful for you, and hopefully you are feeling gratitude for the people you love and, and just the ability to be alive and in this world and, um, and appreciate what is all around us because there's good news everywhere, my friends. Keep trucking. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also tell a friend about our show. Are you a force for good? Yes. (laughs) If so, then get your tickets for the Zen Parenting Conference, March 2nd and 3rd, 2018, with Cheryl Strayed and Mike Domish. When purchasing your tickets, consider becoming a Zen friend for our conference scholarship program. Let's make sure anyone who wants to attend can be there. Come see us. We look forward to having everyone in Chicago. Check out all of our live events at zenparentingradio.com. You can also find our virtual community of listeners that we call Team Zen. You can find books and podcasts that we recommend and so many other opportunities and resources. Go to zenparentingradio.com. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's awesome award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or on Amazon. Thank you. You're welcome. And just so you know, I coach guys. It's called coaching for guys on the phone skype or in person contact me to uncover the subtle shifts that will change your life if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with check out the tribemensgroup.com we would love to have you be a part of the tribe if you ever shop via amazon you can help us out by first going through the amazon link found on our homepage, zenparentingradio.com under support us it doesn't cost anything to you but we get a small commission from amazon I want to give a special thanks to our partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care and Avid Painting and Remodeling. They've been with us since the start, and we love them. And to all of you, thanks Thanks for your love love and support. support. Keep trucking. (laughs) Bye.